Hello, and thanks for joining Wicker Park Lutheran Church Sermons. Wicker Park Lutheran Church is a diverse ELCA Lutheran congregation in the Wicker Park neighborhood of Chicago. We gather at 10 a.m. to fully live into our incarnational faith as we experience God's presence in the gathered assembly, and we welcome you to join us. In just a moment, you'll first hear with a gospel reading from the associated sermon for the service that you're about to listen to. We hope that that gospel gives you some context before you jump right into the sermon. Thanks for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon. The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up. Do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Humanity has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, you, O Christ. So today may be the transfiguration of our Lord, but when I sat down to write this sermon, I kept finding myself drawn to Peter in this story. And I feel like this is quite often a week where we look at that gospel reading and then just kind of start bashing Peter a little bit. And maybe there's some expectation in the room that I'm going to start in on him too. Shame on Peter. He took this beautiful and wild and holy moment and tried to cover and compartmentalize it. He wants to take this moment where Jesus is dazzling with God's glory alongside the prophets of old and contain them within structures made by humans, put distance between the divine and nature, and attempt to contain it all within more orderly and corporate structure. Oh no, Peter bad. Let us all berate him now. And I've heard sermons like that, but not today. Let's put ourselves in James and John, and especially Peter's shoes for a moment. Six days ago, Jesus, seemingly unprompted by anything at all, announced to his disciples that he would need to go to Jerusalem soon, and that when he was there, he would suffer greatly at the hands of the religious authorities, be killed, and then rise again on the third day. This is the story where Peter then takes him aside and goes, Jesus, no, we can't let them that do that. We can't let that happen to you. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. You're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus then addresses all the disciples and tells them that if anyone wishes to come after him, they should deny themselves, take up their own crosses, and follow Jesus. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life. 
So like, it's been a really heavy week. The disciples are all still trying to process that bombshell revelation and work out what this means both for themselves and for Jesus. And let's be fair here, if you were one of the disciples and Jesus told you all of this, that he'd die, but don't worry, he'd rise again in three days, but none of these events had even taken place yet, would you believe him? I admit, I'm not so sure that I would. I feel like I'd probably need a lot of time to sit and process and think about it, certainly more than the six days James and John have had. But as is the case for us too, life rarely slows down just because big news happens. The group continues onward, traveling across the countryside, curing people of various ailments. That's where the rest of the disciples are in the story. Um, these four will join back up with them immediately after this passage. There haven't been a lot of still, quiet moments to go over what Jesus said. So imagine now, you're probably stressed and tired and maybe a little overwhelmed. You've got a bunch of work in front of you, a lot of people who need your help, and Jesus pulls you and two other people aside and asks you to climb up a mountain with him. And once you get up there, suddenly he's dazzling with light and Moses and Elijah are standing next to him. For people in that age, these would have been two semi-mythical legends of old standing right in front of him. I was trying to figure out ways to ground us in time a bit because sometimes biblical timelines are confusing. But for Peter to see Elijah before him would be roughly the equivalent of Robin Hood walking into our building. And Moses would be, well, there's not really a lot of famous people from the 500s that a lot of us are familiar with, but maybe King Arthur might work. Neither of those are perfect comparisons, but again, not a lot of names from the 500s or 1100s are survived today. Anyhow, you climb up this entire mountain with your friends, and suddenly one of your friends is shining with as much light as the sun. And you see these two legendary people standing in front of you. And somehow, you're able to recognize them for who they are. And these two people just start chit-chatting with your friend. Like, this is all very normal. What would you do in that situation? Peter seems to fall back on basic manners for his time. Offering hospitality to travelers and guests is extremely important in their society. And you know, do dead, do dead people drink water? Do they eat food? Is there a delicate way to inquire about this? Unclear. Shelter, though. Shelter seems like it would be a doable thing. He has no concept of how long this meeting is going to last. Maybe it's going to be like the passage we read today in Exodus, and they'll be on this mountaintop for 40 days and 40 nights. It seems pretty reasonable that they might want to retire and rest at some point during that time. And yes, I know, some translations of this passage will say, let's build a shelter or a booth, but the Greek word is pretty clear. This word is specifically referring to a tent or a cloth hut. Fabric is an important part of its meaning. And I don't think they carry tents up the mountain with them. 
So he's proposing walking back down this entire mountain, gathering up all the supplies that he needs to assemble a tent, climbing back up the mountain with the tent stuff, and then pitching them while his mentor continues what's probably an important meeting. That is his I think it's important to point out here that neither Moses nor Elijah had humans around to tend to their bodies at the end of their lives. Elijah was famously carried off to heaven in a chariot of fire, and Jewish tradition says that Moses' body was taken and buried by God, and only the divine knows the exact location of his grave. There were no people around to tend to their bodies after death, no anointing and cleaning, no burial shrouds, no laying in a tomb. They were mourned, yes, but for both of them, their body was missing from those proceedings. So maybe it isn't so outlandish when Peter sees them around 1,500 and 600 years after their deaths, his first thought is tending to what he perceives to be their bodily needs because they kind of didn't get that kind of attention post-death before, and maybe he can make up a bit, make up for it a bit today. And this is the part where some biblical commentaries will come back and say, yeah, but he's still focused on the earthly things, even in this moment of divine happenings. That's why we're scolding him. But you know who is very noticeably not scolding Peter today? Jesus. A man who clearly has no problem with telling Peter off when he's out of line. It would appear that for the son of humanity, this is not one of those moments. At this moment on the mountaintop, Jesus stands before them in a form the disciples have not seen before. They get a sneak peek of what Jesus looks like post-resurrection, with essentially the face of the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah, standing with him. Here is a moment of divine glory shining on earth, and I think it's safe to assume that this moment is probably overwhelming and stressful and super confusing, but even so, Peter responds in that moment with compassion and care. May we all have such strength. And yes, then the speaking and all the disciples collapse on the fear for even for the disciples who have seen miracle after miracle there seems to be a limit on how many extraordinary things they can process at once before being overcome but do you notice how Jesus responds to them he leaves the glory of heaven and resumes his earthly form goes over to the disciples meeting them where they are and he touches them before telling them to get up and not to fear. And I can't help but notice that in doing so, he's providing them with physical care and reassurance, not so very different from what his very eager disciple was attempting to do when he beheld the glory of heaven. In three days, Lent begins a time when we as Christians prepare to retrace Jesus' steps to Jerusalem, his triumphant entry into the city where he will be betrayed by his followers, suffer, and be crucified. And even 2,000 years later, even knowing what happens next in the story, there's still a lot of feelings and questions to process. 
Today, Jesus reminds us that that's okay. Even the people who physically journeyed alongside him, even those who got a sneak peek of heaven here on earth, even they were overwhelmed. Today, Jesus meets us where we are and says, hey, don't be scared. It's going to be all right, even if you are overwhelmed by it all or don't fully get what's going on. None of this is dependent on you. I've got this. Follow me. Jerusalem awaits, but it is not the end. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs>